jump into 1 Corinthians 1 just, brief, just briefly. I have some things on my heart tonight, and, and I think the Lord has some things for us tonight. One time I stood up to an internship I was leading, and I said I was just going to give a short exhortation. And I spoke for about 50 minutes. <laughs> so my friends always kid me now when I say, I'm just going to say something real brief, real short. And they were like, oh, yeah, short exhortation. So, but no, this, this will be brief because I feel like the Lord has something for us at the end. Well, let's, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And then we're also going to go to uh, Isaiah 29, somewhere in this. So if you want to be ready for that, Isaiah 29, there's a flow that Paul begins to reference in 1 Corinthians 1. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a flow of scripture from Isaiah, and it actually starts in Isaiah 29, and it works his way backward to Isaiah 28, um, and we might reference Isaiah 25 as well. So I'm that guy who likes to know where we're going in the Word, and I kind of put my fingers in like all the places, you know, but now we can just flip to it on our phones. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these two wonderful books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts to that which the Holy Spirit has for us tonight. Holy Spirit, we say, come and reveal mysteries like only you can reveal. Come and reveal the hidden things of our hearts like only you can do. Lord, just as Paul is exhorting the first Corinthians to be unified and be one. Lord, we say, break the spirit of division in our midst. Break the spirit of division in our church. Break the spirit of division in our city so that you can have a glorious church that is hosting the spirit of the living God, that is walking in the spirit of the living God, that is walking in forgiveness, that is walking in love. So, Lord, take these words off the page and put them in our hearts with power. Let them be active tonight. We say, we don't want just eloquent words. We want the spirit of power testifying to the word of God. So do this in our hearts tonight and bring us into freedom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Well, a few weeks ago, I did an overview and kind of took us through the whole book, and, and uh, this week, we're going to go through chapter one, and then we have Brian Finnamore. The week after that, we have J.R. and Mike and, and Andrew that are going to take us through different passages here, and I'm excited to see what the Lord does in our midst. But uh, let's just begin in verse 10. We're going to dive right in. Paul says in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, 
what had come to Paul's attention in the church of Corinthians were there were these divisions that were starting to happen among them as the people of God. And this word that Paul uses for division in chapter in verse 10 is the word schismata, and it actually means a, a tearing or a rending. And so he's saying that by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's appealing to them that there be no tears, that there be no ripping. And the idea is of the body of Christ. That's what he's going to get to in chapter 12. That there, in Ephesians 4, he says there, that the church is one body. It's one spirit. We're not all different factions in the body of Christ. We have one head and there is one body. And this body fills the earth, or the purpose of it is to fill the earth, so that we can proclaim Christ as all in all in every place. And so, Paul says there's divisions, and he's appealing to them that they come back together, that they be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. This word united was actually a medical term, and it meant that the knitting together of bones, or bones that have been broken, that are being mended, and that are coming back together. And a body is, tended, is, is meant to stay together, right? It's not meant to be broken. When your shoulder comes out of socket, ah, you know automatically that's not right, you know? Have you ever had something happen to your body? I used to play basketball. I used to have a dream of going to the NBA, and then I realized I was of Czechoslovakian and German descent, and I was going to have no height factor, no matter how well I could shoot a ball, so I switched to music, which didn't have anything to do with athletic ability. And I, you know, we'd have those moments of like rolling your ankle, or you'd, you'd cut, and your knee would fold, and you would just have that, I never blew out my knee, but you'd have those moments of like, oh, that's not supposed to happen, right? And the point that Paul is making is that this disunion, it's unnatural. Our bones weren't intended to be broken. Our shoulder wasn't intended to be dislocated. And that it's actually causing pain. That this division, it causes pain, and there needs to be a uniting and a bringing back together. And I think it causes pain to Jesus. Now, I know Jesus is on his throne. He's perfect. I I believe he's the glad God. He's the Psalm 16. He's the Psalm 45, anointed with the spirit of joy. I think there's a smile on his face. But I do think his heart is broken when he sees his body in disunity. So Paul goes on, verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Now that sentence there just blows me away because this Corinthian church had some amazing men of God that were visiting it and ministering to it. I mean, they had Peter come spend some time with them. Cephas, that's who... That's who Cephas is. He's Peter of the 12 apostles. And he's in the city. Paul gives basically birth to them in the city. He's their father in the spirit, as he says in chapter 4. And they have 
this man Apollos, who Acts tells us was mighty in word and in spirit in preaching the gospel. He, he had might by the spirit in proclaiming and refuting the Jews and saying, no, Jesus is the proclaimed Messiah that we are waiting for, that we were waiting for. So there were these divisions and some were saying Paul's our guy, some were saying Apollos is our guy, some were saying Peter's our guy. Others were saying, I don't listen to any other teacher but Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't, I don't receive anything but what I get directly from Jesus. Have you guys ever known people like that? Or been tempted yourself, you know? We need to receive from one another, right? The Spirit of the Lord is in you, the Spirit of the Lord is in me, and we need to receive the revelation the Lord gives to us. That's the gift of the body, the family of God. So this was going on. Well, I guarantee, it's just human nature, that this isn't all they were saying. That they were saying, I'm of Paul because Peter is this and this is this, and I don't like his teaching style. And man, those songs he chooses before we get into the word, or I don't just, I don't know, like his leadership quality isn't, it's, he's not the leader that I, I don't really connect with that leader. You know, this is, we all do this, right? We kind of pick and choose in the body of Christ. We have many teachers that we can pick and choose from now, and we all feel that temptation. Well, I guarantee you, they were, in their earthly wisdom, they were pitting themselves against one another. This is why I follow Paul, and this is why you're wrong to follow the other person. And they were getting into arguments, so much so that Chloe reported to Paul, and she said, this is not good. I bet they weren't even meeting with one another. Oh, you're, you're, you're of the Paul clan. I, I'm of the Peter clan. So, yeah. Ice cream social? No, no, it's okay. We have our own thing over here. They don't do ice cream socials anymore, right? Wow, that dated me. I listened to one too many uh, Adventures and Odysseys growing up, and so <laughs> I was that kid, you know, raised in that church culture. So verse 13, is Christ divided, Paul says, was Paul crucified for you? I love that. Did I do anything for you? Was I crucified for you, he's saying. Did I do anything to remove the sin that separated you from the Father? He says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He's just, I think he's kind of like being fun with them right now. He's being a little pointed. Verse 17. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Okay, and then Paul makes a shift here. So he introduces, there's divisions among you, and it's not right. You're saying you're following these people, and you're following these people, when you all should be following Jesus and should be a part of the body and should be receiving from one another. And then Paul shifts, and he says this in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Paul is going to go from this verse in 18 to the end of chapter 3 with unfolding this argument that we receive the wisdom of the cross, not the wisdom of the world. And the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to the world, but to us who are being saved, 
It is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. It is Christ, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. And he's just going to unfold this, and we're going to unpack this for, for the next uh, few weeks, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and I'm really excited about it. But my question is, why does Paul, after he addresses division, go right to the cross here? Why does he bring in this idea of the cross, that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us, it is the power of God? And I believe it's because it is the attitude and the mindset of the cross that are gonna, that's going to bring the Corinthian church back together. It's the mindset of Christ that's going to cause them to go low with one another, that's going to cause them to forgive one another, that's going to cause them to respond to the forgiveness that Jesus has given them and to give that forgiveness to others and to bring back the body of Christ into unity. It's everything we've been talking about the last two Sunday mornings. It's about the offenses and the divisions in the body that, or, or the offenses that lead to divisions in the body of Christ. It's the mold. How many of you enjoyed that last Sunday as we were going through that? That miscommunication, that mistreatment or that misalignment that brings an offense where you actually take an offense at another person or you take an offense at the Lord. And then from that, you have the loose lips. You begin to triangulate. You begin to speak about that person. You begin to speak about that situation. Or you just leave it alone and you let that offense fester. You don't deal with it. I mean, everyone right now knows what I'm talking about, right? We've all been in that place, right? And that place, at the end of the day, brings division. It brings divisiveness. And where Paul is going with this is in chapter 3, his argument is coming to, don't you know that you, Corinthian church, you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? That means the Spirit of God amongst you as a church in the city of Corinth is housed by you. It's manifested in you. You are how people come to know Jesus through His Spirit working in you and working in the church collectively. So he's going there with his argument, and he's saying, these divisions are wrong. And the way to overcome them is through the wisdom of the cross. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it in verses 13 through 16. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It says in verse 15, he abolished the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself, we're in Christ, he's our head, he might, we might, he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. So he brings us together as his body. And then it says, and he might reconcile us both 
to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the enmity that was between us and God. Say hallelujah. He brings us to God. He reconciles us to his Father, and then he brings us together. This is the calling of the church. Paul goes into verse 19. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now Paul's saying, again, the cross, it's foolishness to the world. It's the power of God to us. And he says, and God is turning everything upside down. The wisdom that the world wants to operate in, the wisdom that the world walks in, is not the wisdom of God, is not the wisdom of heaven. Paul is quoting Isaiah 29 here. In Isaiah Isaiah 29, the whole phrase that Paul is quoting from is Isaiah 29, verses 13 through 14. And in context, it reads like this. And the Lord said, because this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, yet their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Do you guys remember when Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 15? He actually accuses the Pharisees with this verse. He says, you speak well of me with your lips, but your hearts and your lives, they are far from me. So Jesus quotes Isaiah 29 to speak of the generation that he's in. And Paul is quoting the last verse of this section to speak of what God has done in the generation that he's in. Let's keep reading. Verse 14 of Isaiah 29. So what's God's response to a people who are drawing near to them with or drawing near to him with their mouths, but their hearts are far from him? Now, you think his response would be to reject them, would be to push them away, would be, I'm done with you. Listen to his response. It says in verse 14, Therefore, behold, this is God speaking, I will again do wonderful things with this people. He doesn't give up on them. He says, I am going to do wonderful things with a stubborn people whose hearts are far from me. Everyone say hallelujah, because that's all of us, right? He says, I will again do wonderful things with this people. With wonder upon wonder, I will encounter them. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. I think this wonder, this wonderful things, this wonder upon wonder, that God is going to do to a people that are far from him. I believe Paul is pointing to the cross when he says the wisdom of the world is going to be turned upside down. The wisdom of man is going to be thwarted. How is it going to be thwarted? By this wonderful thing God has done in the midst of Israel by setting his son on a tree, him taking all of our sin, all of our shame, and breaking it at the cross and making a way for us to come to God. In Isaiah 25, it is in that same flow. Isaiah 24 to 29 is a, 
is a section of scripture that is just precious. But it says, again, it mentions this wonderful thing that God's going to do. And Isaiah speaks of it in future tense, that he is going to remove the covering that is over the nations. He's going to take off the blinders of the nations and that they're going to come to him and worship him forever in his new Jerusalem or in the new creation or in his holy mountain. And that in that place, he's going to swallow up death forever. It's the same wonderful thing that, Paul, that Isaiah is talking about in 29 that Paul is referencing. That God is turning the wisdom of man upside down. He goes in to verse 20. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? So I think with division, the world would say, no, 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 make your argument. No, 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 fight for what you feel like is right. No, 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 get your way and, 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 and try, to, try to save yourself, so to speak. Or maybe not in this um, example of division, but maybe the world would say, save yourself by power, save yourself by money, save yourself by trying to be good enough. We would say, be saved by believing in the sacrificial death of Jesus. Be saved by calling upon the name of the Lord. And Paul calls this wisdom. Verse 21. He says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now Paul's going to continue this argument at the end of chapter 1. He says, God is doing something so that, and has done something so that no man can boast in themselves. And so that only, that men could only boast in their salvation by boasting in the Lord and what he's done. That's where Paul's going with this. So in verse 21 it says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. I think it was the wisdom of God that we couldn't know him through an intellectual pursuit, that we couldn't know him through philosophical wisdom, that we couldn't reach to the heights of the heavens on our own and know him. Or we could say, you know what? We found God on our own, and we really don't need God. Paul says it was the wisdom of God that we couldn't find him on our own. Instead, God desires that no man should boast and that he should save us by his own merit, that he should ransom us by his own righteousness, by his own power, and so that we could all, with humility, go, we're all in the same camp. We were all sinners, and we've been saved by grace. Amen? And God, it said, it pleased him to do this. It pleased him through the folly of what we preach, through the cross that the world would say is folly. It's pleasing God to save men. Verse 22, it says, For Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And he is a stumbling block to the Jews, and he's folly or foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God, and Christ is 
the wisdom of God. I find it interesting that right after Paul uses the quote from Isaiah 29, he uses this language of Christ being a stumbling block. Because the chapter before in Isaiah 29 is Isaiah chapter 28, which is the famous chapter where it says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation stone in Zion, or a capstone, or a... uh, Oh, what's the... Cornerstone, thank you. He says, Behold, I'm the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. And whoever believes on him will not be ashamed. And so, Paul is saying that Jesus, to us, who have found him as our foundation, who has found him as precious, who has found him as our cornerstone, Jesus is the power and wisdom of God. But some stumble over this wisdom. Jews stumble over this, that our Messiah is going to be one who hangs on a tree, that our Messiah is going to be one who is crucified, and we come to God through a crucified Messiah. They were, they were waiting for a powerful Messiah. And Greeks say, we're going to come to God through the death of a Jewish Messiah? That through death I am saved, that through humiliation I am saved, that through shame of one I am made righteous before God. And Paul's saying, it's a stumbling block. It is. But to those who put their faith in him, he's the power of God and he's the wisdom of God. So Paul is appealing to the Christian to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, There's divisions among you. And he's saying, You need to go back to the cross. You need to understand the wisdom of God in the cross. And you need to reflect on the forgiveness and the wholeness that you have found in Jesus. And you need to give that love to others. That you need to overcome the offense that is in your heart. And you need to mend that division by giving that same forgiveness to others as God has given to you through the cross. And my question is, where is their division amongst us? How do we apply this to us in this season? Where have we found ourselves divided in the body of Christ? It might not be, I'm of this camp, and I'm of this camp, and I'm of this camp. It might be through mistreatment. We might have taken offense because of someone mistreating us. Or we might have someone offended at us because of the way we've mistreated them. I'm not shocked when someone comes to me and says, you know what, you really hurt my feelings. You know why? Because I know two things. I am either always being tempted to be offended at someone by what they've done to me, or I'm either always offending someone by what I've done to them. And I'm trying to get better at that, right? We're trying to not offend, and we're trying to not take offense, But Jesus says this in Matthew 18 and in Luke 17. He says, guys, offenses are going to come. He's like, it's just the reality of the sinful world you live in. But woe to him by whom they come. He's like, don't let them come through you. I'm thinking of Matthew 5. 
where Jesus says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, he says, leave your gift at the altar and go. He says, go. He says, the most important thing is first be reconciled to your brother. And the idea is, then come back and worship me. This is important to Jesus. I mean, that's taken out of Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount Christianity. This is as, Sermon on the Mount Christianity is pretty radical if you read it. But this is Christianity 101. This is how we respond as believers. I think of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, cry out to the Father and ask for your sins to be forgiven as you forgive those who have sinned against you. So in one place we're worshiping in Matthew 5 and we remember we've offended someone and we go, oh, we write it on our list. I gotta write that email. I have to make that phone call. I have to ask for forgiveness. And then in Matthew chapter 6, He says, not only do you have to go when you remember, but when someone mistreats you, even before they come to you and ask for forgiveness, you are commanded to forgive them. Now here's the wonder of the commands of God. If God asks you to do something, he's going to back it up by the power of his Holy Spirit for you to fulfill it. God never commands us to do anything that he won't help us by his Spirit to fulfill Have you ever read some of the commandments in the New Testament that we're called to and how impossible they sound? He's like, that's right. You need to know you cannot do this in your own strength. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can obey me. And so we think of that person that has offended us and we go, how could I ever forgive them? And I feel like the Lord is saying to us, it's not by your might, it's not by your power, but it's by my Holy Spirit that you're going to tear down this mountain of offense in your life. Now, we took a little bit, we took a little uh, too much time in praying for Saw You at the Pole. I don't think it was too much time, but we went a little longer than what I thought we were going to. And so I was actually going to have a little bit of a ministry time tonight, but we're out of time for it. But just in closing... I want to ask you, I want to give you an assignment from this Wednesday night to next Wednesday night. I want you to take some time. I want you tomorrow morning when you wake up and spend time with the Lord or tonight when you go to bed and you're spending time with the Lord or, or tomorrow on your lunch break, wherever that, time, that daily time with the Lord is, or if you don't get to it tomorrow and you get to it on Friday, I want to give you as an assignment as our Wednesday night group, Okay? I want you to search your heart for the ways that you have caused offense or caused division in the body of Christ. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart, and I want to call you to repent of it, and I want to call you to go to your brother and make it right. Now, the reason I want this is because I am jealous for the Spirit of God to be housed in our midst well. I am jealous for those divisions not to be among us so that we can be the temples of the Holy Spirit walking in the glory of God, walking in the Spirit of God. 
Now, the other thing I want you to do is I want you to take time and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to search your hearts where you need to forgive and where you need to let go and where you need to bless others who have treated you with contempt or have done you wrong. Because Jesus doesn't say, wait for that believer to come to you or wait for that person to come to you and ask for forgiveness and that's when you forgive them. He doesn't say that at all. He says, daily pray this, Father, forgive me. (laughs) Father, would you wash me afresh by the blood of your son? And then he says, and pray, Father, forgive me as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Now, the crazy thing is that in verse 14, Jesus says this. These are in red. These are the words of Jesus. I didn't say it, so don't be mad at me after I read this, okay? He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Mike taught him this about uh, two months ago. If you forgive, your heavenly Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Now that puts the fear of God in me in wanting to forgive those who have done me wrong. Peter says it in Matthew 18. I mean, Matthew 18 is all about offense and sin and bringing your brothers back into unity. And that unity, this is where the manifest presence of Jesus is in our midst. And it's all about forgiveness. And then Peter pipes up after that teaching, and I love him. He says, well, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? I mean, and... Peter's feeling pretty good about himself right now. He's like, seven, you know? That's a big number. That really is a big number. Someone sins against you, and you, oh, I forgive you. It's, it's a tough thing. S- same thing, sins against you, I, I forgive you. Same brother, sins against you in a different way, I, I forgive you. Right there, we're kind of like done with this person, right? I mean, that's, that's three rounds of forgiveness. Right there, you're like, you know what? I'm going to find a new home group. You know why? I'm just going to find another worship team grouping that I can play on. No, Jesus says, you're not understanding this, Peter. One, Peter didn't understand it because he hadn't experienced the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross yet. His sins hadn't been washed yet. He didn't know how much and the guilt of his sin that was between him and the one he was talking to. He didn't understand it. And Jesus gives a parable. And it's a beautiful parable in Matthew 18, and we don't have time for it. But it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. And where the master had wiped out millions of dollars worth of debt. And this servant couldn't forgive a few hundred dollars worth of debt. And the revelation the servant didn't have the revelation of how much he had been forgiven. And Jesus says, no, Peter, it's going to be more like 70 times 7. It's going to be more like, you know, 490 times. Mike, am I right? Engineer Mike, 490, 70 times 7. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> I came out of my mouth, and I was like, oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Go back to fourth grade math. Okay. So why don't we stand... And let's just pray that the Lord would give us grace to do this.
Now, how many of you, can you just raise your hand, you're going to commit in the next few days, I'm going to let the Lord search my heart, and I'm going to let the Lord bring healing to where I have offended people, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness, and I am going to forgive those who offended me. How many of you are committing to that? Let's commit to that right now. Let's just say, we're going to do that. We want to be those who are not divided with one another. This happens in families, guys. Mothers, this happens with your daughters. Fathers, this happens with your sons. You got to forgive. You got to forgive. This happens in families where you've been mistreated, where you've been sinned against. You have to forgive. This happens in our church. There are probably offenses right now that we have with one another that we have done to someone or we, that we have done to someone or we're doing right now or someone has done to us. We need to forgive. We need to not hold it over with them. We need to not hold it against them. We need to not lord it over them. We need to become their servant. So let's pray just for grace as we leave here tonight to settle offense in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we come before you. Jesus, we thank you how you taught us to pray. Mm. And we say, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us of how we have sinned against you. Forgive us for our lack of obedience. Forgive us for wrong mindsets and wrong thinking. Lord, we say wash us again in your forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who have sinned against us. Father, I ask you in these next few days that you would bring revelation of your forgiveness of us. You would bring revelation of the wisdom of the cross, of the love of the cross, of the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ. And this would give us power to forgive those who have wronged us. To forgive those who have sinned against us. Just think of Jesus right now. The one who had not sinned. The one who had not mistreated anyone. The one who had not spoken a wrong word. Being tied up on a cross. Being nailed to a cross. Being flogged as a criminal. Being set as an example of a criminal. And he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Lord, we ask you to put that same grace in our hearts to forgive. And Lord, I ask you for this, for this power of Matthew chapter 5. That we would go to those that we have wronged. And we would be reconciled with our brothers. Lord, we ask you for that spirit of reconciliation to just thrust us, to, to empower us to go to our brothers. And in experiencing your forgiveness, we would say, please forgive me. Lord, we ask you for that humility to be granted to us in Jesus' name. We ask you for that mindset, Jesus, that was in you, that same mind that was in you, that same attitude that was in you, that caused you to go to the lowest place,
and lift us up, that caused you to humble yourself as a man. Lord, we pray that we would humble ourselves and we would go low and we would repent. Lord, I ask that we would bear the fruits of repentance as your body at the rock. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. Amen and amen. Awesome. Love you guys. See you next Wednesday night, and we will continue our journey through 1 Corinthians.